0: how's it going everybody welcome back to the std podcast it has been a minute since i have uh done a podcast with the boys and uh currently waiting shimmy i have him uh the link sent over to him so hopefully we can get him to join us but um i have trevor today trevor is in a new space uh, all moved he was gone for a few weeks so setup looks nice Thank you.
1: And, uh, yeah. Super, super stoked. It's nice to have your own space and whatnot.
0: Right. Right. And yeah, it's like, I can imagine when I switched over to like having an office, it's just having your designated workspace, like feels so nice. Oh my God. Yeah. I could never <laughs> go back now. Yeah. Right. Exactly. And, and you'll, it'll find it, you'll find it uh, interesting when you travel too. Cause I, when I come back home after traveling, I'm like, man, I'm so grateful. I have this like space where I work because when you're trying to work, you know, on the go you're at an airport you're like at a hotel or something like that it's just like it's just not the same as when you're in your office working without distractions right yeah so that's cool um today we're going to talk a little bit so actually um the reason why we didn't record last week is i got sick um i had salmonella which was really fun um but uh trevor and i we're going to talk a little bit about um deloading and 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 how do you approach well not just deloading but how do you approach an illness Um, And then coming, coming off of an illness. Um, So, so what do you do with your training, your nutrition? Um, Should you deload? Should you not deload? All that stuff. So uh, Trevor, kind of what's your experience with, um, with illness around training,
1: I guess. Uh, I mean, I guess I'm lucky that I very rarely get sick. Um, But in December, I had kind of a same thing. I think I was in week three of a mesocycle. And I got strep. Uh, so you know, fever, unable to move, unable to eat for. Oh, I, didn't, I was talking to you and Jimmy about it. I think I was like, didn't eat more than like yogurt for like a week.
0: Yeah, yeah, I remember you saying you were you were doing the tub tub of Greek yogurt.
1: Yeah, this is like all I could eat, and I mean, there was like two days there where I didn't even eat anything at all uh so you know obviously that happens you know right in the middle of a um training cycle it never kind happens, a, like, uh, yeah it's never like right at the perfect time you know you, it's like the, after you do your last training session of the mesocycle you get sick and you're sick <laughs> but it's always like well, just, right smack dab in the middle like right, right in the middle of week three or week four when you're like really getting to the good stuff
0: yeah that's exactly what it was for me i was like uh at- second I did I did my second day of training in week four so like oh. my last week and I was like so stoked because I was like this is like really getting hard like but it's funny because I felt the onset of the illness and I'm like man I'm just like carrying a lot of like everything's aching like I was like I'm just really fatigued this week it's really yeah, weird it's,
1: same thing happens to me I'm like god what the hell is with this doms like yeah this, I never felt anything like this and then like six hours later i have like 102 fever I'm
0: like that explains uh, <laughs> yeah because i thought it was like because you definitely pushed my volumes especially in that last week so i'm like i was like man i'm, I'm really feeling the extra volume today <laughs> like this is weird right And all of a sudden i'm really sick i'm like oh maybe it was the volume to some degree but it probably is also well, the illness
1: and that's definitely a thing to keep in mind too and that's why I that's why you everyone has that experience of oh yeah. i get sick in you know at the end of week three or the beginning of week four i never get sick in week one You know, your immune system is hampered from hard training and from and from accumulated fatigue. And that's another reason why you can't just train hard all the time. It's your immune system is getting hampered. So if you train hard all the time, you know, it's a saying, if you don't deload, your body will deload for you. It's not always just injury. It can be you get sick and you have to take four or five days off because you're sick. Well, it's, just, it's the same reason. It's because of accumulated fatigue. Yeah, yeah. Experience in, in my
0: experience, that's usually when I get sick is like those latter yeah. weeks. And it's funny because when I used to train chronically harder, I used to get sick a lot more frequently. I remember. Yeah. I remember like trying the failure training every set. And uh, I remember, I mean, I, I knew I was carrying a lot of fatigue. I used to like get, I used to get either I would feel ill from the actual fatigue that I was carrying or I would like have a compromised immune system and when I would get sick I'd get really sick and I remember a few months when I was training with very high volumes probably not like close to actual like volitional failure in the muscle but like doing that kind of like bullshit where you're like just taxing your CNS and everything else right
1: Jared Feather's favorite thing ever
0: yeah exactly and uh that's I would just man I remember like a few times I was like man I thought like I was being healthy doing all this like you know training but I think I'm really just screwing myself up yeah right um so this week i so last week i was sick i didn't eat for like three days lost like 10 pounds uh probably a good chunk of that was water retention because <laughs> i'm back to eating maintenance now and my my weight's kind of just staying the same so it was probably just from the actual amount of growth hormone that i had in my system <laughs> but <laughs> but um I, I didn't eat for three days right and it's funny because um it's like I felt that fatigue that I feel in contest prep, like when I'm like having a hard time getting up my stairs and I just forget what it's like when you're, cause we're so used to being, being, uh, appropriately, um, like eh, having enough nutrition, right. On average, right. especially in the off season, like you don't, it's foreign right. to feel like feel, feel like what it feels like to have inadequate nutrition with hard training. And I remember like I was getting up my stairs and I was like, man, this is like, that took a lot of effort. And, um, uh, yeah. So in that, in that, in itself, I was like, it's probably not a good idea to train, right? Because even then I was feeling better towards the weekend. I was like, maybe I could train. And, you know, I think this probably happens a lot of people, especially people who enjoy training. It's like you want to get in and you want to go after it. Mm-hmm. But then we deloaded this week, right? And uh, maybe you could speak to that a little bit about, like, needing to deload after you're ill, right? You don't just, like, you're you're not necessarily, like, yeah, your training volume is going down when you're sick and you're not training. So you get some, probably some actual like joint and connective tissue fatigue uh, fatigue reduction. But at the same time, I mean, those joints and, and structures being able to recover probably also requires the uh, raw materials that are being used to fight off the illness uh, in a lot of cases, or at least energy, right? Uh, but maybe you could talk a little bit about needing to deload after being ill.
1: Yeah, for sure. And I would say it depends. Um, so you can kind of look at it and spread it out in different ways. So, if we're talking like, oh, uh, you have a head cold or whatever, and you're talking like a couple of days being sick, you probably don't need a full deload. But when you go back to training, you need a few, few days of reduced volume and reduced intensity. Now, in your situation where, I mean, it was nearly a week you were sick. Yeah. And you have an inability to eat on top of that then you can't just say, okay, well, I did this. So uh, I'm just going to, you know, even just saying, well, I'll just start my next mezzo now because your next mezzo is still hard training. You're starting a mezzo with hard training. And so if you especially have that, you need some time to recover because yes, some fatigue is going to come down. Certain, certain body systems fatigue will come down. Obviously joint and connective tissue fatigue lowers. But if you're not eating, your substrates aren't ever getting refilled. And that's a huge component of reducing fatigue. Um, central nervous system recovery, being able to have you know high level of central drive, glycogen stores for simple fueling muscle contractions, things like that. You know so if you're coming off you know, four or five days, not being able to eat, keep food down, you know, you will you also have dehydration issues. And if you've ever been dehydrated, it's not as simple as like, oh, I'm just going to drink water today. I'm going to hyd- hydrate again. It takes you, unless you're doing like some really rapid uh, rehydration strategies, which then introduces a whole other aspect of potentially kind of fucking up uh, electrolytes balances. Right. You know, um, it takes time to rebalance your electrolytes. It's not just an immediate thing you can do. And so you have all of these different mechanisms that you have to have a little bit of time post-sickness to be able to recover from. So if you say, well, I'm just going to, you know, all right, yeah, I I missed my last week of training most of the last week because I was sick and I didn't train. So I'm just going to start my next meso right right away. You're going to go into that meso. You're not going to be 100%. You're not going to be able to push as hard as you want to and if you do you're going to already have a higher level of fatigue so now you run the risk of okay well now I'm going to cut my mesocycle short because instead of coming in you know with what whatever you know 20% fatigue i come in with 35% fatigue and that compounds you know that's why we that's why it's not just a deload every uh, mesocycle either is we compound fatigue over blocks And a deload, it generally isn't enough to completely wash away fatigue. Washing away most of it, but, you know, maybe after mezzo one, you come back with 20% fatigue, then 30% fatigue, so on and so forth. And that's when we need an active rest or a low volume phase, things like that, to really wash away fatigue and really clean the slate. So you can't just say, you know, oh, I was sick. I had a few days off training. That's good enough. I'm going to go. Not if you're really, really serious about this. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, 100%. It sucks, but it's the reality of it. <laughs> yeah, and you know, I get it. We all love to train. Right, well, the people watching watching us, I assume, Probably. love to train. Probably. Otherwise, why the hell are you watching a fitness podcast? It's kind of weird. <laughs> um, you know, but you, ha- you have to look at the long game, too. And it, it can be hard. Um, it can be hard to take that step back and say okay i understand what i need to do and actually do it because like you mentioned to me before we started recording you're like i was ready to train i had the drive to train you know i felt i was eating again i could keep food down and whatnot but i just basing how you felt you know after you just started eating again how effective do you think training would have been yeah not not very effective yeah it would have been subpar right and in in my in my opinion there's no reason to have subpar training you either have effective training or recovery training you're wasting your time or, or you what know. are you doing yeah. you know if you're if you're serious about this if your goal is to be a serious athlete about this you have effective training or recovery training and that middle ground is not doing anything except adding more fatigue so if you're going to say well i'm just going to accept that middle ground why recover and get back to effective training sooner
0: yeah i was thinking about this actually as i pulled up to the gym today i was like every like three to four weeks i i'm not training and i don't see the gym every day and that's like weird and then i think about i was thinking about like what what would other people think of that like all these like hardcore lifters they'd be like that's really weird like why would you not train every 4 weeks like you train you train until you get injured or something like that till you can't handle it anymore right or you or you deload it, even i think some of them who are still kind of like leaning towards that like uh periodization right they they may deload every like 8 to 10 weeks right and um i really i think i think but what you said there about like you know i'm in the gym to make progress uh, I really kind of have to stand alone in that regard and be like, no, like this is supportive of my goals. Yep. I would love to train still. I'd love to just not take breaks. Yep. But one, that they serve physiological and also psychological relief uh, to allow me to continue to train at my max capacity. Like, I can't imagine hitting that amount of volume for that period of time, that close to failure, and being able to bring it every day. Yeah. And I think some people claim they can, and maybe there are a few people who can, uh, but I think at the volumes, especially that we're training at, that we're using with the, you know, relatively close to, if not failure in the, in the last week, um, it's, 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 it's hard to sustain that for a long period of time. um, And fatigue also would mask that over time too, right? Mm-hmm. You think you're training at a zero RIR, but you're, like just really so messed up that it may it may be actually a few reps in the tank, right?
1: Yeah, and that's um, the thing. that's the thing that people don't consider. as fatigue accumulates, your perception of effort changes, yeah. And what may feel like a zero r a r and may, in that singular instance, be a zero r a r is only such because your fatigue is so high. It is masking your ability to, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Express your fitness. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Cause I mean, do you think about it? We are, uh, the bigger picture is like every time you're training, like throughout a mesocycle, we aren't expressing our max fitness level, right? Hmm. Because yeah. we are always carrying some level of fatigue. But that probably lessens over time as you accumulate more fatigue, you're expressing yeah. even less and less of your fitness. And a deload is, an opportunity to allow some of that fatigue to drop off. Like you said earlier, not all of it because you need an actual active rest or maintenance phase to do that, but allow some of that fatigue to drop off. So you can continue expressing, uh, you know, a baseline level of performance uh, Mm -hmm. that you can carry throughout a mesocycle and finish them
1: as a cycle appropriately. So Uh, yeah. Interesting. Just like on that same train of thought, you know, people ask, well, Okay, I did. I did one mesocycle here. What do I do for weights? If I'm keeping the same exercises, how do I pick weights? Well, and that's why it's like, okay, well, you know, say you started at two hundred pounds week one. Um, you know, week two you did two ten. Well, maybe meso two, you start at two ten. Yeah. Because your fitness has increased, and now your fatigue has dropped off, so you can start to express that fitness. And every mesocycle is just another step on that ladder.
0: So you're saying once that like that week one, once week one and two, you're carrying low levels of fatigue. So that's what the, that's the number you should probably pick for the.
1: So uh, explaining that is like, so week one, your fitness levels are that, that you can do 200 pounds for three reps in reserve. Mm -hmm. As you continue on, your your fitness will rise but your fatigue rises at a more exponential rate mm-hmm. and that's when you start getting that crossover of fitness and fatigue so you as that fitness is going up eventually we you know that fatigue hits where we can no longer express our fitness levels but fatigue also drops quicker than fitness so now in mesocycle two our fitness is at such a point that 210 pounds is now our three rep, three reps in reserve load. Right, right. That makes sense. Because that fitness level is higher at the start of this next next cycle. Yeah. But because we've allowed that fatigue to drop, whereas if we tried to, um, you know, perhaps do that 210 at our max fatigue level, it might be two or one RAR. Because our fatigue levels are so much higher, or pulling like a load
0: to use from like week four or five, like your last week, and using that as a baseline, yeah, right? that's also probably not great.
1: So that's that's you know that when you were saying that, it just made me it, it gave me the picture in my head of that's exactly how you're structuring a mesocycle. You know, your fitness and fatigue are going up like this, but your fatigue is dropping as you're going through that that's how you design a block that's how you progress over a block right
0: it's really (laughs) the average weight is going up because i had a had a client ask me that once because he was like well if i don't use the weights that i used in like the last week on my first week how am i getting stronger and i'm like look at the average amount of weight that you're using with that that movement across multiple mesocycles right yeah the average has gone up like 10 pounds consistently or whatever right yeah and you and you
1: compare like for like right is your week one Mm -hmm. weight going up is your week two weight going up three way going up four way up.
0: right right because if you're comparing week five to week one right yeah you're using
1: entirely different effort scales
0: right right yeah that and that was um i think when i read um how much should i train that was explained and illustrated to me a little bit more because that was also a weird thing for me to grasp because i'm like well we're already we're always training with like a, a certain level of reps and reserve then like you know, I don't know how. How was I thinking about it then? I was thinking about it in a weird way, where I was like, for some reason, thinking like in terms of like my zero RAR as my like max strength um, yeah. metric. And then I was like, well, if my zero RAR weight is like, you know, I'm not starting that mesocycle. So I guess it was probably same rationale that he was using is like I'm not starting that meso with my top end performance. It, uh, then that, why the It is if you've used a weight, you can never go lower. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's probably what it was.
1: It's like, well, I'm not progressing if I use less weight now. Right.
0: That but makes you're a
1: ton progressing of sense. if your effort levels are matched. Matched. Yes, that's that's a key. That's oh, that's really awesome. That's what it that's what that look at like for like. Yep. How much weight are you using for X, Y, and Z effort level? Right. That X should be going up, Y should be going up, Z should be going up
0: yeah another great analogy another fitness one is um like i don't compare my peak off-season photos to my contest prep photos yeah i would pair, compare peak off-season to peak off-season because if i look at my contest prep, prep photos i'm just gonna get depressed because i'm yeah, like, like oh, wow. way fatter <laughs> exactly right so that's exactly that makes a ton of sense if you look at you think about it in those terms
1: yeah Uh, i was an offshoot of the the initial topic of sicknesses and how to handle sicknesses and deloads and stuff like that but it just yeah yeah no i think that was super cool
0: uh is there anything else we should say about illness so we, we talked about like the need for a deload after an illness oh you talked about i think or i think you mentioned depending on the level of illness and one one reference point i've heard uh, it's it's probably a little bit more individual than this, like depending on the illness, but like, you know, um, ab- above your head, uh, you shouldn't go to the gym and below your head. And I know that I also I'm not really the biggest fan because I think it also just oversimplifies like you could have like two broken legs and be like, yeah, no, I'm still good to do squats <laughs> today. Like, you know what I mean? But below below the neck, generally speaking, you may be able to still go to the gym.
1: Uh, I don't, is it that, or is it the other way if it's above your, but neck above, you can train if it's neck below, you shouldn't.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's probably the other way.
1: I don't know. Regardless. Why. I, that's a fairly good metric. Um, and honestly, if you, the thing is, is it come, you can simplify this whole thing. If you go into the gym and you, you start warming up to do your, your workout and you're supposed to do, you know, last week you did one ninety five for 10 this week, you're supposed to do 200 for 10. And you throw on 195 for your last warm up, and you struggle to grind out one rep. Leave the gym. <laughs> you know, yeah. if if your workout turns to a shit show, just leave the gym.
0: Right. That'll just make you more upset and probably not benefit your illness. Again, it
1: goes back to you're just having subpar training at that point. Right. 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 Yeah. Yeah. You want effective training or recovery training? Subpar yeah. training is giving you no benefit that's um
0: that's gonna be a really hard thing to walk away from too like, oh dude. i i
1: it's taking me years and i still struggle with it sometimes yeah, i'm yeah. still sitting there rationalizing in my head well i know i'm like five reps under what i should be hitting but
0: right Could i, could I, I know add, better? could i add sets to match the volume yeah I've i've done that i've literally done that before <laughs>
1: I've had I've had clients ask me that. I've done it myself before. <laughs> um, and, but the thing I've found is that long-term progress especially is simply better if you have that metric of so you have effective training and you have recovery training and subpar training gets you nowhere. Yeah. And if you're accepting subpar training, you're accepting less results. Right.
0: And this is especially too for like competitors who like do this, at higher levels too, it's funny because they do the opposite, where they accept subpar training and labeled as as I'm a badass, nothing can stop me, which is just hilarious when you think about it.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's a whole other topic I could get on. There. <laughs> yeah. yeah.
0: Genetics right. and drugs can go a long ways. What was that? Genetics and drugs can go a long ways. hundred oh, percent, and a motivational caption on your Instagram post. Yeah, right. <laughs> Oh, what was I going to say on that? That was totally not on. Well, it was on the topic, but um, we were saying that
1: Uh, you 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 had asked me about like above or below the head, above the the neck, Um, uh, head. Something about um, uh, the kind of the length of the sickness can help vary about what you need to do recovery wise. I don't know. I totally lost it. Well, I can quickly run over that. So um generally you can look at it as if if you're sick for a couple of days you probably can take like if if you're sick day one two three you're feeling better but not quite ready for the gym day four five six you can probably do a recovery workout and then you have an off day and during that time you're eating in maintenance or even a slight surplus and then kind of get back to training but say you got sick in week three you don't go to week four. You yep. repeat week three. You repeat that volume. You repeat that RIR. You don't try to progress from there. Because essentially, you just didn't do week three.
0: That's in the context
1: of you missed like half the week. Is that what you're saying? That's Yeah, you missed two, maybe three days. Okay. If you're getting past that, if you're getting to four or five days of actual sick, like you're sick, you need time to recover after that. Yeah, that was my situation. So at that point, it's like, okay, at that point, just take a full deload. Really rinse the plate.
0: Yep. Cool. So that's a good framework to work within, too, because then it's like, okay, you know, maybe if you're only sick for a few days, it's really not a whole lot of time lost. You come back in, do, uh, what would you say is in terms of volume in your easy sessions? Like, what would you start, what would you ease back into?
1: typical like sort of deload deload paradigm basically like half like half forward half right. the volume half the volume maybe 75 percent of the load okay so relative effort
0: is is reduced in that part of the week back yeah and then next week you go to kind of plan progression would you actually since you had a little bit of fatigue reduction do you uh like do you do anything with the sets there or you just kind of plan progression
1: um i I will auto-regulate. I will go in with the plan of being whatever that week was, but there may be some auto-regulation where you pull a set back, but I would never add a set. Okay, okay. Never add a set from... Once you're back to normal training after being sick, if you're going back and restarting week three, I would not add sets above what week three already was. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. Potentially pull back because... You may, may have gotten a little bit of resensitization. Right. But there's, uh, if you jump ahead, you're basically going from the last effective training you had was, you know, week two's volume loads and uh, effort levels. And now you're going to jump to what, week four? Right. right. That could be a large
0: difference. And you're kind of just shooting in the dark too, as far as your progressions. If you're like, I'm going to uh, go off of, uh, you know, planned progressions from, Week three, it's like, well, week three, you don't have very much data to use yeah, to plan you a progression do anyway, right? You do exactly. three, so what
1: instead of doing a ten pound ju- jump on, uh you know, leg press, you're gonna do a twenty pound jump,
0: right? You're gonna assume assume that you somehow are stronger and t- didn't have any regression of performance after or being sick at that after being sick, exactly. Yeah, that's 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 funny. That makes a lot of sense, though.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, actually, I wanted to talk a little bit. So you've been programming for me, um. I'm actually, I wonder if if our listeners may be curious too. like, you know, I'm, I, I've i i seen like you have some big clients too, but like, are there any uh, differences you've noticed with programming for me as opposed to like your, your average client in terms of like programming? I don't know how you are dead. Basically,
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, you, uh, definitely your volume tolerances are, especially for someone, your strength level and size. Your volume your volume tolerances are kind of scary to me. <laughs> They're scary to me too. So and I'm we're like alone. there's no way he's gonna do this. And then you do it and you're like, Yeah, I was a little sore for like 12 hours, and then I was fine. Yeah. I recovered like two days before I had to trade that muscle again. I'm just like, okay, so we're gonna add more volume. And until that last week that you know you had a couple sprinkles throughout the the cycle, but mostly until that last week you were still progressing yeah, yeah. you were hitting your you know rep targets with your load targets every single time
0: it and, was and, and improving technique based on some of the suggestions that you had made
1: too yeah it was it was it was quite impressive um <laughs> i will definitely say though um I, I, you're not the most, um, just because you know there there are some like smaller female clients that's just like you, you should be broken in half by this point, but somehow right. not. So I guess we're gonna keep going, um, but you're definitely on the higher end of what I experience, have experienced, and it was uh, a little bit shocking to be
0: honest. Yeah, I'm really excited to see what we do this upcoming episode because we didn't even get to do that last week. Yeah. The only thing I, I did get, my biceps got sore. And I told you, that was the first week where I got a three out of three yeah. pump on my biceps as well. And my biceps actually got sore the next day. And yeah. they were getting some. That was like the only thing. It was just those, um, the the Bayesian or the behind the back curls, especially when we made that tweak just to kind of keep them back. I uh, yeah. was like the best stimulus and soreness that I had gotten yeah. on anything. That was like yeah. the only soreness I'd gotten on
1: anything though. Yeah, it, it was pretty crazy. So um, yeah, uh, it just goes to show that you know, volume tolerances are an individual thing. Yeah. You know, um, not everyone's going to have the same and you can't just for pre- you know, as, as a coach, when you're working with somebody, especially you know when you first start working with someone, you're going off of averages. But you got to be willing to adjust because I have yep. other clients who are they're significantly smaller than you. They're... An average twenty-something natural guy, and they're doing four to eight sets of any given body part, and just barely recovering. Right. You know, so if if I gave you their program, you probably lose size, at least in some areas. And uh, if I gave them your program, well, they would probably break in half and overtrain and probably never lift weights again end up with rhabdo and you know I'd get sued and that would not be fun <laughs> yeah
0: um it's uh it is really interesting, but it it speaks to that as like even you know i I have I haven't had too many outliers like and I don't have i I do have a lot of like strong bodybuilders with high recovery capacities for sure um but I think even just seeing you not being afraid to just push the volume is something that I think I could do better by even by, by watch by having you model that and be like, okay, like, obviously like our metrics are there. You're not getting soreness. Your pump and disruption could probably be better. So let's add volume. Yeah. And your ability, you were just weren't, you weren't afraid of doing that. And you know, you, you added appropriately to my level of soreness, which was a lot of the time, nothing, which is like, yeah, you could add two to three sets on an exercise and probably be fine. Um, but yeah. I guess I, in the past, I've been, I, I'm, I'm very much more used to, and, and it's p- also because I've gotten more bigger, bigger competitors over time is I'm very much more used to the guy who's doing four to eight sets, maybe 10 on a muscle group. And it's just enough volume for him to recover. It's making progressions week to week. He's not being smashed completely. Um, but, you know, I don't see that a whole lot, but it also speaks to your, your experience and your expertise as well. And And, and again, not being afraid to just push things when they need to be pushed.
1: Yeah, well, and it's just, you know, as a coach, uh, you know, and as a as a client, there's a back and forth relationship. Right. As a coach, I rely on data. And as a client, you have to be willing to give that data and honest with that data. And I'm sure you've seen it before, and I've seen it before too, where people kind of fudge some things and when you have a a real talk with them they're like yeah you know I actually was kind of sore and you know my joints have really been aching lately and and this and that and it's like oh well I didn't know that I was going off of the data I was given right and I have to make the assumption as as a coach the data I'm given is given in honest faith yeah so you know, this kind of speaks to that that coach-client relationship of you have to have a, a good relationship. A, as a client, you need to trust your coach to make the right decisions, and you need to not be nervous. Uh, you know, I, I think some of it maybe comes down to maybe people feel like they're not thinking I'm working hard enough, so I got I got I to gotta show them I'm willing to work hard. Right. I, I'll i say from a coach's perspective, trying to prove yourself to a coach, prove that you're a hard worker, isn't going to be helpful. Right. The most helpful thing you can do is be honest. Yeah. And then as a coach, the best thing you can do is simply look at the data. You have to be unemotionalist. You have to be emotionless. Right. You have to be very subjective of this is what the data shows me. And this is what I have to base my recommendations off of.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think part of uh, originally what it was too, for me was like, Oh man, I would hate to make someone do this amount of volume. <laughs> and yeah. that was originally what it was. And I was like, no, no, like this is what they pay me for. So like, I'm going to push them. Exactly. But it it's, was like, I was like, emotional sign Yep, yep.
1: Where you're like, Oh man, that's a lot. I don't know. I I don't feel good about this. And you know, again, like you said, it's what they pay you for. 100%. And you know, at, you should, as a coach, you should encourage a line of discussion for them to be like, you know what, this is for various reasons, just too much for me. Right. I'm not willing to spend this much time in the gym. Right. Or if it's diet related, you know what, I'm not willing to deal with this hunger level and eat so little. Yeah. Or I'm not willing to be this bloated and eat this damn much. Yeah. You know, What's, that, that's a trade that, off that uh open discourse needs to be there and as the as the coach you just have to you know not have the emotion of ah i wouldn't want to do that that seems hard right you know and it's weird it's weird you know and that's why i as a coach i am very big on like i want to tell clients like this is why we're doing this if you have any questions let me know we can talk about this right
0: yeah. Yeah. I try to involve, involve my clients too. Like when I'm going to be like, okay, my, I have two options either drop calories or increase activity. you are be like, which one, like, are you more hungry, or you more tired? Right. Like ask them, yeah. you know what I mean? And get them involved in that decision-making process too. And okay. um, what was I going to say on the last thing you said? Not on the account. Of, oh yeah. Yeah. I was going to say, I'm really, I'm, I'm not impressed. When a client digs themselves into the ground, especially against my advice, I'm impressed when a client is like consistent mm-hmm. and communicates things to me uh, yeah. that that over time, I'm like, those are some of my best clients. And those yeah. are the clients who achieve results. Yeah, it's kind of
1: funny. Every now and again, I'll get a client that be like, oh, I'm sorry. You know, I just I, I give you too much information. And I'm like, no, you give me useful information.
0: Yeah. And it's better than having too little. Yeah, it's better than having too,
1: too little. It's better than me having to pry and ask
0: right exactly yeah and you, you as a coach you do kind of have to try to facilitate that the best you can and um for me recently it was it was implementing a call every mesocycle at least where I just kind of yeah. talked to them because again over text sometimes I lose some of that stuff um but like I think you know sh- shooting them loom videos explaining why you're doing something yeah. you know allowing and encouraging them to ask questions and, and, and unfortunately especially a lot of the people that I've gotten, is um and i and i see this too with coaches is that they are discouraged from asking questions they're discouraged from from questioning anything that the coach does and so it's it's almost like you had a bad relationship right and you know like someone was like abusive in a, in, in a manner right and then you go into a new yeah. relationship and you're you have this expectation of you know or or you oh, have this I behavior that. that's learned
1: that's right you do I, okay i'll just say it right now if your coach tells you you're not allowed to question me or it doesn't matter to do what I say, fire your coach. Yeah. That's amazing advice. Because that coach, one, I'll say it, probably doesn't know what they're doing. And that's why they're not willing to talk about it. It's because they don't know why they're doing something. Yeah. And they probably realize that well, it works for me is a good enough answer for most people. So if your coach ever tells you you're not allowed to ask questions, that's a red flag.
0: Yeah. I wish I knew that earlier. I really do.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I will say from the coach's perspective, um, you know, as a, as a coach, I, I'm completely okay with people asking me, why are you doing that so so what can be frustrating as a coach is when it comes off as you aren't trusting the coach and you come back with well so and so said this why are you making me do that yeah that can definitely be frustrating for a coach and if all of your questioning is like that as a coach i think if i had a client that did that i haven't run into that yet i think if i had a client that did that i would actually know i have and i did tell them you know what i think it was a potential client it was an inquiry i said you know what i think that you're better off finding a different coach yeah because for me it wasn't worth the stress 100 percent so the, again, there's, there's a mutual relationship with coaching. And
0: right. Right. Yeah. And I think that's really, you know, it's good that you did that and you didn't take that person on. And I think that, you know, if they're asking you like, why so-and-so like program, it's like, we'll try so-and-so's program. Like if you, if you're not really bought into the stuff that I have going on here, then, you know, it's, it probably isn't a great fit in the first place. Like you, probably yeah, you
1: have to trust your One, one thing that has always been a pet peeve of mine is um and you know i've seen it for years now following other other people in this space is that you know someone will will go to you know a prolific coach and say so my my coach has me doing this do you think this is right what do you think i should do yeah man you're paying your coach for a reason you know you should talk to your coach right if you feel like you have to talk to somebody else you you clearly don't trust your coach right
0: and it's like why why are you with them just you know you want to be able to trust that person you're paying
1: you know good a good amount of money in a lot of cases and more than likely if you don't trust your coach you're probably not going to have the greatest adherence to the program yes exactly and you're probably they're not. not gonna get, you're not going to get the results that maybe you want to get, right? Because you're not bought into the process. You know, so um, just to kind of give the you know that other side of the spectrum is like, it can go both ways. You you hear about bad coaches in the industry. You don't hear about it as much, but there are bad clients too. Right. Yeah. Yeah, and, and I think that on,
0: on on that level, if you're just chronically not trusting your coaches, it's something maybe needs to be addressed personally before you even hire someone for that type of relationship, you know? Yeah, yeah, for sure. So, yeah. One thing I will say, so like, what do, what do you think is it? What's that? I
1: don't even know how we got on this topic.
0: <laughs> I don't either. I'm going to be honest with you. I ate an edible like an hour ago. So I'm just kind of <laughs> just talking here. Uh, didn't expect it to hit me this hard. It was, it's, I haven't been eating them that often. So it's like, it's Friday. And then your guys is like, and then Jimmy's like, let's do a podcast. And then he ended up not showing up, right? <laughs> and I'm like, I'm chilling for the evening, whatever. Um, one thing I was gonna ask is, uh, what what do you think is a healthy amount of someone questioning their coach? You know what I mean? Like, when does it start to become like, okay, this is, you know, like, because because I'll i I have some clients that do have data, they do have stuff that. Um, they are like like they are comfortable with doing a certain thing, right? Or they they like a certain style, right? And I'm flexible as a coach because I'm like I really am just here to you know give them the service and I give them the, that the best I can. If they have a couple contingencies or they like they have a couple preferences, you know I will make them aware of the trade offs. Mm-hmm. But then I'll say, okay, well that's fine if that's the way you prefer. it. If you enjoy training more like this, um, you know, then, then that's, that's on you. That's your choice. Right. I'm just here to give you the best results I can with the, you know, with the tools I'm given. Right. Yeah. But at, at some point I, I could imagine where it's like, okay, this isn't even my program anymore. What am I doing? You know, what level of like, would you be willing to accept in that regard? And what do you think is
1: appropriate? Well, one, I think it needs to come to the, the mindset or the, the heart of why someone's asking a question and and you can tell if you've been if you've been in a, like a customer service industry, you kind of get used to you know, you can read read between the lines essentially, right If it's a questioning because they're they're honestly wanting to learn, they'll they'll ask you a question they say, hey, I see that we're doing this. Why is it that we're doing that? And you give them an answer and they're like, oh, okay, great. Um, and and then that probably doesn't get brought up again, because you've covered that. You've answered their question. You've allowed them to learn. If it's like that, I don't honestly see a problem with any amount of questioning somebody wants to do, um, because I think as a, a a coaching experience, should also be a learning experience for a client. Right. I, I think that's how a client gets the best results. Um, and, and honestly, it improves it for the coach too, because as that person learns more, it honestly becomes I, this this is gonna come off sounding kind of bad probably, but it becomes less work for the coach. Because you've invested first. You've invested time and effort so that they don't need quite as much guidance going forward. Um where it starts to become a a thing where i'm like "Mm, okay this is a red flag we need to talk about this is if they're again they're coming at that with well so and so does this so why do you do this why do you do that and it's very you know kind of aggressive or combative questioning yeah that's a red flag to me If if the questioning is combative then there's automatically a, this level of trust, not there, right? Cause they're, they're not trusting my expertise and my knowledge. They, they're to me, that's basically saying, I think this person knows more than you. Why aren't you doing what they're doing? Right. No, oh, why'd you hire me? Um, and then the other way, the other thing where I think that it throws up a red flag and there needs to be some discussions or some talks is if someone is asking you a question and you're giving them the answer and they're still just basically ignoring it. You know, they're saying, um, well, why is it that, you know, why is why is a cheat meal bad? And you tell them, you know, that this is why, this is the problems with cheat meals, da, 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 da. And they say, oh, okay, that makes sense. Yeah, you know, maybe maybe it's best that I, you know, I kind of eliminate that. And they're still going out and, you know, cheating Friday night through Sunday afternoon. Right. Just Blowing their diet up. Or you tell them, you know, they ask you, well, why are we doing X, Y, Z with training? And you tell them, oh, okay. And then they just ignore the program and just go off every single week. They're going off the program over and over and over again that's where it's like okay
0: what's going on you you know what another good example of this is is correcting
1: someone's technique and that'd yes, be defensive. that's a-, a really really important one that i didn't even think about now but yeah if um, if if you as a coach if you're giving someone um technique advice and honestly as a as a coach if you're doing someone's training and you're never reviewing videos and never have any kind of technical like technique advice to give them like yeah um but if they're you know if you're giving that to them and they're well why should i do it that way and and or just saying ignoring you that's a red flag
0: right right and and you know again you're hiring somebody you should be bought into the, the program you should be willing to learn from that person and if you're yeah. not then maybe that's not an appropriate relationship but i will say like some people it's it's also that maybe they have their ego tied up in the way they they, they perform things um, yeah i used to, i used to kind of walk on eggshells in that regard because i'm like maybe you know people don't like hearing this like and and what i do now is I'm like it doesn't matter this is what they pay me for and i say i try to point out the good like not just to give them purely like you need to fix this and this I'm like your technique is actually good it improved from last week you know look at look at look at all these things that you're doing and then hey let's try to improve this thing for next week because yep. it's really because you can also get caught up in the fact that i'm just constantly like i mean shit, my technique still needs correcting right you know what i mean so mm-hmm. i've i've been corrected you know hundreds of times i've corrected myself hundreds of times so you know someone who's just like getting into this especially and they're new to some of these techniques you know it's it's an endless process it's a constant yeah. requires constant reevaluation it requires constant tweaks. Their mobility is going to change over time. You know, the the size of their muscles will change their actual, like depending on what phase they're in their you know, their stomach, different leverages will change as well. And so it's something that requires that constant, um, upkeep. So it, it can be really easy to be like, just constantly se- telling somebody the things they need to fix on, on the coaching end, like just, you know, be cautious of just being like, fix this, fix this, this try to give them benchmarks of like, look at, you know, or even like, you know, side by sides, like look at how low you were on the deadlift last month. And then look at where you're at on the deadlift this month. You know what I mean? Just trying to remind them of that
1: and then be like, and we can even do better, which is awesome. Yeah. You definitely want to, you know, the whole compliment sandwich sort of thing. If you do, if you're just constantly like, we need to fix X, Y, Z. We need to fix one, two, three. Yeah. And that's what every single time you're telling them after a while, it kind of feels like you're getting a shadow on. Right like man I'm trying really hard but it's like am I just always gonna suck can't do yeah I can't do right by my coach's eyes yeah and so it's definitely like you know again from the coaching side it's like you know hey you know big improvements this week you were you controlled it much better but you know there's these couple things here so let's really focus on that this week right
0: yeah try to be mindful too because sometimes you know you have a client who's not a bodybuilder and they're just working from scratch right you're just like just building them up and it's like You got to be really mindful of trying to build their confidence around their success, especially because their goals are going to be a lot smaller than this, this competitor, right there, they need, they need to have smaller goals to be able to build that self-confidence, that self-efficacy to get over here. So you need to be the one cheering them on. Like, look, you, you know, you didn't have as much fast food this week. You brought some prepared food to work. Like, that's awesome. That's so big um but really trying to just hype them up like you you also like just when your client does well like just giving them the, the like good job you know what i mean like point because there's the gonna what was that point out the wins exactly because uh, as as myself i'm very used to not pointing out my own wins i'm just like all right what's next what's next and yeah. it's like well like look like look what you did good job like tell yourself good job yeah. and so i can imagine that is like that for other people too so if you could be that person being like look at how good you did like look like you lost you know a pound this week right and that's like you know they were weren't budging for a while like that's huge yeah and then keep that exactly. going right um it's it's always nice to have that because there's also going to come the time where you're you know they have a good week and then they have maybe a bad week in the future and it's like you're gonna have you you don't want to be the only conversation you're having with them is just like scolding them or like maybe i wouldn't even recommend scolding them in the first place but really like you know hey what what, what happened here like you know what I mean? Like, let's fix this, this, and this, and it's like, yeah. oh shit! Like, that's all I'm hearing from my coach. Like, I'm not doing good at
1: all, whatever. Yeah, and understand that also as a coach, there are times when maybe someone is struggling, and right. you need to have an honest conversation with them about reframing their goals. Right. You and, know, and I mean, obviously again, way... that's what they're paying you for. Right. You you have to be there. You have to be the objective eye.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And, and obviously, um, like I said, it's not really appropriate to scold them and it's generally a a conversation to be had Mm -hmm. Uh, when, when they're having trouble with adherence. Like I used to, I, I, when I first started, I would be like, Oh, like, you know, do better. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, it's just, you think, I think about it now and I'm like, that's so silly. Like it's not, it's not as simple as that because yes. Well, and maybe it is. Sometimes it is. Sometimes it is but most of the time if someone isn't adhering a lot a lot of the time they're having tr- trouble with it you know i've i've had my share of clients who just do not comply and i can identify that right uh, especially when they're not communicating with me but if i'm getting communication someone's speaking with me they're like they're telling me everything i can tell that that person is invested in this thing mm-hmm. um but they're having trouble with a particular aspect you know what i mean yep. and then being able to have a conversation around that and 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 actually fix that or work on that and i think that's where I think that the, like, coaching is is definitely separated. Like, I see a lot of coaches that are still, like, just nut up and do it. And I'm like, but, like, people are, like, they're human. Like, sometimes they, again, there are absolutely appropriate times to tell your clients to nut up and do it. Sometimes they need someone to just hold them accountable. Uh, but if that's something that's happening consistent consistently, that's something that needs to be addressed. Mm-hmm. And it is addressed through having a conversation with them, figuring out what their triggers are, figuring out what they're specifically challenged with. Like, it, and even then, if it, 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 I would generally never lead with that because of the fact that like, what if they have something that are not telling you like, oh, my, my grandma died and I didn't train. Like I wasn't training all this last week. That's why there's no data. And you're leading with what the hell are you doing? Like you didn't, you didn't comply this week. Like what the hell's wrong with you? You know what I mean? It's like shit. Like you just didn't have the whole picture. So I would always say that it's always a smart idea to have a conversation. Yeah. When in doubt, just talk. Yeah. Right. Just talk. I mean, and I think that, I think that speaks to like individuals, like relationships too. Like sometimes people in personal relationships don't just talk, right? They just lead with like their expectations of what the other person is doing. Right. Uh, Which is horrible, right? You shouldn't have expectations for, you don't know what they're thinking, what's going through their head, whatever, you know what I mean? So like, not having expectations and just having conversations. Yeah. Uh, I guess that's the theme. Just normalize having conversations.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, I guess uh, this whole seg- segment could be uh, how to be a better coach and how to be a better client.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I, I think that's really important. I try to talk about both of those too on this because I know that I have some people who are into coaching. Uh, I mean, like, like a lot of the people in the team full Rumble forum, for I'm surprised like have clients and are, are coaches too. Uh, yeah. And, and so like you know some of those people listen to this and then i think it, it, on average you you are also a client a lot of those people are clients as well so i think it yeah. speaks to both audiences uh, and we both are too you know i mean like at least i'm a coach to you right or I, you're a coach to me and and then we are both coaches as well so yeah interesting dynamic but i think um if anything we we, we uh we i at least i always learn from talking to you so
1: uh, i definitely am the same i i One thing that I super appreciate about this kind of you know friendship and relationship that we've built is like I have learned a ton. Likewise, and that's the great thing about this kind of this community and you know the whatnot is that we have the ability to to, you know learn from so many people. Right, hundred percent, and I think
0: that's another thing is where conversations are so important. Like reaching out, like I think. You know, we built that relationship where we just kind of both just will shoot each other questions or like, you know, like, hey, what? Like, I've I've definitely checked like ha- checked myself on you before. I'm like, hey, is what I'm thinking or what I'm doing rational here? I love having that as like a you know someone who might like, thinks thinks like me, um, you know, or values align on a lot of levels too. It's like really cool to have someone else who's like, you know, we're just like neck and neck yeah. as far as that goes. So, yeah. yeah, man, I tell you, I I definitely do appreciate it. Um, I think we started, uh, talking about one thing and then talked about a million other things. So, um, right. yeah, yeah. Um, definitely we should, well, hopefully we'll get shimmy on, um, next week and, uh, I would love to continue the conversation about my training, um, to some degree. I just wanted to touch on that a little bit more, but yeah. I can't remember. We just went on some other tangent about coaching and stuff. So yeah, uh, I hope you guys,
1: your next, it was going to be
0: interesting. Yeah. I'm super excited. So yeah, maybe we'll talk about that next week. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, man, it's, it's good to be back, and it's good to be uh, chatting again. So uh, I'll let you get to your Friday night uh, right, relaxation. Man. Yep. Totally. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for the conversation, as always, man. Have a good night. Yeah.